Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. The House votes 245 to 182 to overturn and nullify Donald Trump's emergency declaration. 13 Republicans joining Democrats to say. This is a violation of the Constitution of the United States of America, and Donald Trump is not a king. We'll see how that goes in the Senate. Hello, everybody. On a Wednesday, what do you say? Here we go. Wednesday, February 27, 2019. What a big day. Lots and lots going on. Lots to talk about. You look at your uh, cable television this morning on all three screens, you'll probably see Donald Trump sitting alongside of Kim Jong-un after the big first evening, a big dinner with the head of uh, Vietnam. The president is moving in today into the real purpose that he's in Vietnam uh, to for his second summit with Kim Jong-un of North Korea, where they will uh, discuss possible lowering the sanctions of the United States against North Korea in return for North Korea, this time promising to take some very direct and specific steps towards trying to download, denuclearize, if you will, the Korean Peninsula and get rid of some of their nuclear production facilities. Lots on the line, lots at stake for this summit. I don't want it to be just another photo op. It's good that they're talking. Hopefully there will be some direct results. And we'll keep you up to date on that and everything else here as Washington girds itself for Michael Cohen's testimony today in in public in front of the House Oversight Committee. That's going to be a must watch. Don't go to work today. Stay home. Watch Michael Cohen. Lots going on. You got the Bill Press Show to to, uh, start you off. Good to have you with us. Don't forget, we want to get your comments, hear from you on Twitter, at BP Show. At BP Show. Send us your comments. But first... 
This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, get ready. This is a little bit of a roller coaster ride here because there was a great story circulating earlier this week in South Carolina where a man saw, you know, it's Girl Scout cookie season. Oh, boy, don't I know it. I'm sure you've seen it. Don't I know it. Selling cookies. Well, a man saw Girl Scout selling cookies in South Carolina out in the freezing cold and rain. And so he went up to him and he said, how much would it cost to buy all of your cookies? Turns out it was $540. So he bought all of their cookies oh my so God. that they could go home and yes. not stand out in the rain, right? Good story, right? Well, it turns out yesterday the man was arrested because he is a drug dealer. He was arrested for drug distribution and fraud. Uh, so... You know, sort of went all over the place with this story. He was distributing heroin, cocaine, fentanyl. He's also accused of racketeering, uh, conspiracy to defraud the United States. Uh, but did his check clear? Or he did paid he him cash. cash? He paid him cash? He paid him cash. <laughs> yeah. Take the cash. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't know what happens to that money. <laughs> Goes into I the, Girl Scout still the Girl fund. Scouts money, yeah, right? Right. All right, there is a new study. So, I, I can see that. You get a little bag of uh, Coke, right? And you get a box of Girl Scout cookies. Jesus, Bill. As a... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure, man. You know, there is a strain of weed called Girl Scout cookies. Oh, so I've heard. Oh, so... Yeah, right. So okay. I'm just saying. Uh, okay. All right. Let's go to England because uh, the University of Warwick released a new study saying that if you're thinking about having a child and you value your sleep... Think again. They say that new parents face six years of sleep deprivation. Six years of sleep deprivation. In other words, once you have your child, there's obviously a lot of sleep training and maybe waking up in the middle of the night, but it doesn't get better until. Wait, how about- much did this study cost? Oh, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh. We got a big study, a million dollar study to tell you that if you have a new baby, you're not going to get as much sleep as you used to get. Breaking news. Breaking news. Hello. This is the Bill Press Show. He is a racist, a con man. And a cheat. That's what Michael Cohen is prepared to tell the House Oversight Committee today. According to the written testimony that has leaked out even before the hearing, a this is Donald Trump's former personal attorney and fixer, one of the closest men to him for the last uh, 14, 15 years, saying Donald Trump is a racist, a con man, and a cheat and actually cooked up illegal criminal schemes and got Michael Cohen to go along with him, which, of course, Michael Cohen admittedly did. Whoa! That testimony coming today a little bit later when the House Oversight Committee convenes. It's the second day of testimony for Michael Cohen. Yesterday was behind closed doors for the House Senate, rather, Intelligence Committee. Uh, today, uh, the House Oversight Committee, and then tomorrow... Uh, I believe also behind closed doors, maybe not, um, Adam Schiff and the House Intelligence Committee. That's the big news from Washington, which kind of overshadows anything going on on the other side of the world. But big news there, too, as Donald Trump sits down with Kim Jong-un for the second big summit between the two of them 
hopefully this one uh, ending up in some more concrete actions than we got out of the first one. With that, what a big day. Hello, everybody. Great to have you with us on this Wednesday, February 27, the Bill Press Show. Coming to you live, coast to coast, all over this great land of ours. We are there right alongside of you, wherever you happen to be. Uh, driving to work, in the car, all at the office, still at home, out for your morning walk or jog, whatever. Thanks for joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Thanks for joining us on your radio or on your little uh, radio where you get listen to the radio on your device, uh, whether it's statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks or Chicago. Great big re- election results in Chicago yesterday. How about it? With uh, Laurie, uh, Laurie Lightfoot, who's been a guest here in studio with us, one of the two African-American women who uh, got uh, who were the top uh, the two top front runners and will be in a runoff now for uh, I believe it's April 2nd is the runoff in Chicago uh, she's up against Tony Preckwinkle the president of the Cook County Board um, and in Chicago of course it is on the great WCPT that we join you as well as nationwide on free speech TV thanks so much for being with us and yes indeed uh, Donald Trump um, sitting down this morning. We saw them for the first time. He and Kim Jong Un sitting there for their uh, you know classic photo shoot, uh, a little chatter with their interpreter, and then reaching over uh, and shaking hands again after uh, the president began last night uh, by uh, with a big welcome dinner by from with the president of Vietnam, where they also discussed the particularly trade relationships, business deals between. The United States and Vietnam, which have been pretty strong um, and will continue to get stronger. Uh, I, I thought it was really striking to see the president of the United States and the president of Vietnam standing there shaking hands in front of a huge bust of Ho Chi Minh. Boy, how far we've come, right, <laughs> since the days when Ho Chi Minh and the Ho Chi Minh Trail uh, was um, really the big uh, embarrassment for this country, losing the war in Vietnam and having to pull our troops our, our troops out of there. Um, and today, the beginning again of the discussions with Kim Jong-un, where our goal is to get them to shut down their nuclear production facilities. Uh, their goal is to get us to lift the sanctions in return for that. And the common goal is to declare an end to the Korean War, which, of course, technically ended some 75 years ago, but officially kind of continues because there's never been a declaration of the end of that war. Uh, So a lot at stake, a lot at stake uh, for this summit in Hanoi. But meanwhile, uh, the focus here in Washington is on two things. Um, Got to Michael Cohen in just a minute. Uh, But first, the House of Representatives yesterday in an overwhelming vote, 245 to 182, uh, voting to nullify Donald Trump's emergency declaration. Not a big surprise that it uh, would pass the House. After all, Democrats control the House of Representatives, make it very, very clear. They believe, I think anybody with any sense knows, that this emergency declaration is unconstitutional and is an attempt by Donald Trump to ignore Congress and, in fact, take powers away from Congress uh, and give them to the president of the United States. Nancy Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi, in her remarks to the, um, to the House yesterday before the vote, 
particularly addressing her Republican colleagues, said, look, here's the question. Did you take your loath of loyalty, loath, oath of loyalty, rather, to the Constitution of the United States or to the President, Donald Trump? Where is your loyalty? Sadly, only 13 Republicans were willing to buck the Republican establishment, buck um, leader Kevin McCarthy uh, and stand up for the Constitution rather for the, than for the president. So 13 Republicans joining all the Democrats, final vote, 245 to 182. Um, and the issue again is whether the president has to follow the Constitution or whether he can declare himself basically absolute. Uh, Steny Hoyer yesterday, quoting uh, the great legal scholar, uh, constitutional scholar from uh, Harvard, uh, Lawrence Tribe, uh, said that that is the question. Constitutional scholar Lawrence Tribe said of the, <coughs> of the president on Thursday, he is simply trying to do what emperors and kings do, not what a president of the United States should do. And uh, the great uh, civil rights icon, John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis from Georgia, adding yesterday, uh, you know, how much is at stake here in terms of who we are and what we stand for. Mr. Speaker, I ask you today, what does it profit our nation to gain a wall and lose our soul? Gain a wall and lose our soul. That same, com- that same um, argument reflected in the United States Senate, where Democratic leader Chuck Schumer, again, points out Donald Trump is just trying to basically assume the powers of a dictator. What would stop any future president, if they failed in Congress, from declaring a national emergency and doing just what they wanted? It would be a large step away from democracy and towards autocracy. And as we know, the vote in the Senate, uh, coming up, they have to vote within the next 18 days. Uh, as we mentioned yesterday, there are 47 Democrats. All Democrats vote against it. Uh, it uh, only needs a majority vote. So Democrats have to pick up four Republicans in order to pass this resolution in the Senate. They already have three, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Tom Tillis from North Carolina. Uh, they just need one more. I think they're bound to get at least one, two, or three more. And this resolution will pass the Senate and go to the president where he is likely to veto it. But in the meantime, uh, and Tom Tillis made the argument very strongly that as a conservative, he, I mean, he gets the point. He gets it. Uh, his, he, he wrote an op-ed in, in the Washington Post. As a conservative, he cannot support something which takes power, steals power, rips power away from the Congress illegally, uh, and gives it to the President of the United States. This is a direct end run around the Constitution, which he would oppose any other future president doing, and he cannot support, as a conservative, cannot support a Republican president doing it. That is the issue. Nancy Pelosi said it's not about the wall, it's about the Constitution. That, so that's one argument, right? That That's the thing. I mean, look, at that's some the point, argument. the temperature in this country is going to cool down a little bit. And I know Donald Trump is not loved by his supporters because he's such a great politician. It's sort of a cult of personality, right? And at some point, there's going to be uh, 
an actual politician in office who is going to be different from the party that you support right now. Right. And so then what? I think that's a safe bet. Right. Then, then what? Right. Then what? Then what you're going to have, let's say, right, you're going to have um, President Amy Klobuchar, who's going to say climate change is the most important issue in this. And here's what we have to do as a country to address climate change. Just pick that or gun safety or whatever the, issue it is. The problem with that, by the way, is you just mentioned two actual national emergencies. Uh, that's true. Right? That is As true. opposed to this. Let's which go is to real national bogus. emergencies yeah. Yeah. where you have a much stronger case for saying this is something we have to do. Congress said no, and that president, Amy Klobuchar, in the future says, well, then, I'll just declare, make an emergency declaration. And what are Republicans going to do then? They would cry, holy cow. They'd be, you know, demanding impeachment hearings and everything, right? Guess what? Amy Klobuchar said, hey, you did it for Donald Trump. You can do it for me, baby. Yeah. Worked for him. Worked for me. That's what a person like Tom Teller sees. So there's that one whole issue about the Constitution, uh, and which which gets to the issue is what Donald Trump did actually legal? Is it allowed by the Constitution? Well, if you want to know about that, you just go to Mitch McConnell because, of course, he supports it. So you would ask Mitch McConnell, which reporters did yesterday, the very direct question. Are you saying this? Listen carefully. Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader of the Senate, who supports the emergency declaration, right? Okay, the direct question is, are you convinced that it's legal? We're in the process of weighing that. The lawyer was there to make his argument. There were some counter arguments. I haven't reached a total conclusion. He doesn't know himself whether it's legal. I support it, but I don't know if it's legal. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the process of weighing that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. What a strong endorsement on the part of Mitch McConnell. That is is killing that statement, right? Uh, if If Democrats can't use that to round up a half a dozen Republican votes, right, then it deserved to be there. Even Mitch McConnell admits they're not sure what they're doing and what he's supporting is legal. Uh, But all attention today is going to be in the House, on the House Oversight Committee. Unbelievable. Uh, The testimony has that Michael Cohen, who's going to testify in public today, again, Donald Trump's former personal attorney, his former fixer, Uh, the person that he turned to for all kinds of deals, including the hush payments to Stormy Daniels uh, and to Karen McDougal. Um, He's the guy who's going to testify, and he's going to say in his testimony, in his prepared statement, that Donald Trump, from what he has seen, is a racist, is a con man, is a cheat, and committed criminal acts. Now, remember... You gotta, you gotta have to. No matter how happy you may be to hear Michael Cohen say that, you gotta recognize this is a man who's already he's going to prison for lying to Congress. He is going to prison also for lying to the uh, U.S. Attorney in New York about certain business deals there and lying to Congress about the payments to Stormy Daniels. Uh, so he's got a not let's say the greatest reputation. 
Fair. For telling the truth. Fair. You have to say that. But now he's got nothing to lose. And his point is now, I'm just going to tell exactly what I saw and let the American people decide who's telling the truth. Uh, but it is going to be blistering, blistering t- uh, testimony today. Um, and already, uh, Republicans are starting by attacking. The counterattack is to attack his credibility, his intelligence. Matt Gates, Republican from Florida yesterday, actually put out a uh, ooh, got it right. Yeah, put out a tweet uh, about Michael Cohen, really threatening him. Here's the tweet, which he then deleted shortly after. Hey, Michael Cohen, do your wife and father-in-law know about your girlfriends? Maybe tonight would be a good time for that chat. I wonder if she'll remain faithful when you're in prison. She's about to learn a lot. Which some people... Um, what a what a piece of garbage. What a piece of garbage, Matt Like, look, Michael Cohen's yeah. not a good guy, no, okay? It right. looks like he's going to tell the but truth here. come so like, on. Get out right? of here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But by the way, defending Donald Trump by attacking somebody else, true or not, for having girlfriends... Yeah, right. I mean, we're right. talking about Donald Trump. And let's just be clear about who Matt Gates is, because everyone's seen his mugshot. He he got arrested for a DUI, uh, not that long before he was elected to Congress. Does his wife know about that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt Gates defending himself yesterday, saying it's very appropriate to consider the character of the witness. I think it is entirely appropriate for any member of this body to challenge the truthfulness and veracity and character for the people who have a history of lying and have a future that undoubtedly contains nothing but lies. He got so much flack yesterday, he took down the tweet, but he still defended it and said, and some people pointed out, by the way, even some of his Republican colleagues who condemned it, uh, that this could be... Um, get him in trouble for witness tampering. We're witness testing, not witness tampering. And when witnesses come before Congress, their truthfulness and veracity are in question, and we have the opportunity to test them. By the way, welcome to the spin room. Yeah, yeah. Uh (laughs) A former segment on the show. Uh, We're witness testing, not witness tampering. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a piece of garbage. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So uh, set your dials. Don't go anywhere. Watch Michael go in today. Uh, it's going to be explosive stuff. And you know, uh, this is going to derail Donald Trump in Hanoi. He will not, not be able to resist uh, following this and tweeting madly from, and he's already started uh, attacking uh, Michael Cohen in a tweet from Hanoi. Yeah, he tweeted at 4 o'clock a.m. East Coast time here in America, but he is in uh, Hanoi. He says, Michael Cohen was one of, Many lawyers who represented me, parentheses, unfortunately, he had other clients also. He was just disbarred by the state Supreme Court for lying and fraud. He did bad things unrelated to Trump. Mm -hmm. He is lying in order to reduce his prison time using Crooked's lawyer. Okay, so a couple things, if I could just break this down. Uh, He uh, refers to himself in the third person. Of course. He did bad things unrelated to Trump. Mm-hmm. And he he now you know he always called her crooked Hillary when he's because you, know, you only have a certain amount of characters you could use on Twitter he's resorted to now just calling her crooked crooked yeah so it's crooked's lawyer crooked's referring lawyer. of course to Lenny Davis who was in the Bill Clinton uh, w- w- White House 
uh, and a, a, a longtime friend of the Clintons uh, and did and has represented them, uh, now representing Michael Cohen. Um, so, um, again, stay tuned. Uh, we will talk more tomorrow once we see in the, de- the details of, of what Michael Cohen. But he says about, on two things that there were um, criminal activities on the part of Donald Trump, he's going to say. One was, as I mentioned, in the illegal payments to Stormy Daniels, covering them up, not reporting them as contributions, that Donald Trump knew all about it, that he designed it. He came up with this idea. And it was his, his idea to start with. Michael Cohen carried it out. Criminal activity directed by Donald Trump, number one. Number two, that Donald Trump knew all about Roger Stone and his contacts with WikiLeaks, that he had advanced knowledge uh, of what was going to come out through Roger Stone from WikiLeaks uh, and where it was coming from, uh, and uh, which really gets very close to the question in front of Robert Mueller of collusion with the Russians, that if what Michael Cohen is saying, um, that's, that's, uh, that Donald Trump did know about the Russians were giving Julian Assange, and that was going to come out soon to influence the campaign, hurt Hillary Clinton, help Donald Trump, that he was, in fact, colluding with the Russians. So there's so many uh, dimensions to this that could come out today, that are expected to come out today, um, when Michael Cohen steps in front of the House Oversight Committee. Uh, a couple of other issues I want to bring you up to date on. Yes, indeed, if we talk about the big vote in the House, big vote out in Chicago, 14 running for mayor. And as all of you there on WCPT know this morning, uh, Chicago is going to have its first African-American woman mayor uh, come April, come the runoff, because the top two yesterday candidates were Lori Lightfoot, former head of the police commission, a person that Rahm Emanuel appointed as sort of the police oversight person for the city of Chicago, a former federal prosecutor who has been our guest here in Washington in studio. That's right. A uh, great person, Lori Lightfoot. Uh, she will be up against uh, Tony Preckwinkle, another great leader in Chicago. Uh, who is the president now of the Cook County Board, uh, a woman who ran with a lot of support from organized labor from our friends at SEIU and the AFT. Um, She raised about almost $5 million. Uh, Lori Lightfoot raised about $2 million. Um, The two of them were, again, the the top two. They'll be in the runoff. Uh, Bill Daly, son of and brother of former Daly mayors of Chicago, Came in third, uh, so um, with Chicago. Jane Byrne was the first female mayor of Chicago, Caucasian, but the first African-American will be either Laurie Lightfoot or Tony Preckwinkle. It's amazing to think that they're going to make this history no matter yeah. what. I mean, you've yeah. got a runoff between right. two African-American uh, females, and right. I think that's amazing. Almost like Chicago can't lose, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And it's also interesting with the daily vote, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of political dynasties start to fade away these days. Yeah, yeah. And I'm okay with that. Sure. I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> now, and Bill Daly's a good guy. Sure. Uh, yeah, th- yeah of course. Nothing against him. A lot of problems in his family. Uh, early, <laughs> the earlier generations of Daly's, there are right. some problems there, but, you know. And I thought his brother was a pretty good mayor. Yeah. 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 And what, what he served, what was he for Obama? He's, he Was he chief of no. staff? 
uh, Bill Daly was Commerce Secretary. Oh, right, right, right. That's right. That's right. Bill Daly was, uh, I believe, yes, Commerce Secretary. I'm pretty sure. Okay. One of them, I think, was Chief. I'll have to look. I'll have to look. Uh, uh, it might have been for a while. I'm not sure of that, Peter. Uh, on other news, election news, North Carolina, we uh, speculated yesterday whether Mark Harris, the who was the congressman from North Carolina's 9th Congressional District, um, uh, and that election, of course, was never uh, officially certified because of the allegations and the evidence of massive election fraud there on the part of McCray Dallas, the consultant that Mark Harris had hired, who was rounding up absentee ballots illegally, uh, filling them out for people, turning them in for people, uh, which you're not allowed to do. Uh, at any rate, the State Board of Elections, after two days of hearings, uh, d- declared that election null and void and uh, called for a new election. Uh, Dan McCready, the Democrat, um, who, according to the first count, lost by about 900 votes, uh, immediately declared he's going to run again for this seat. We weren't sure what Mark Harris was going to do. We found out yesterday Mark Harris is not going to run. So now the Republicans don't have a candidate yet. They were hoping the former governor down there, Governor McCrory, would run. He said, no, he's not interested in running. He's yeah, got why to, would he want to do that? He's got a talk show now, by yeah, the way. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So he said, I want to be a talk radio host. All right. Hey, welcome to the club. Um <laughs> So they don't know when the election is going to be or who the Republican candidate is going to be. But it certainly gives Democrats a chance uh, to pick up this seat, which is a Republican. It's a Republican country. It's always it's been held for decades by Republicans. So it's a Republican plus eight. Republicans have an eight point advantage there. Um, but now Democrats have a good shot of getting that getting that seat. Um, I, Look, I mean, think about think about the fact that Mark Harris uh, cheated. Yeah, tried to steal this election, and it was so close. Right. So you have yeah. to imagine that Democrats smell blood here. Mark, uh, again, on the first count, Democrady lost by about 900 votes. The evidence in front of the State Board of Elections showed there were well over 1,000 absentee ballots that McCray Dallas had, had and his people had rounded up. So the difference, right, if you just took those away— Democrady would be the congressman in that Republican-held district, Republican Republican district uh, in North Carolina. Um, the <laughs> uh, our good friend Brad Woodhouse. Uh, so um, we had a program at the uh, Hill Center last night, and walking home, Carol and I ran into Brad Woodhouse, who lives in the neighborhood, uh, walking his dog. And I couldn't. We had to stop and talk to him about his brother Dallas Woodhouse is the executive director of the North Carolina Republican Party. I never saw a guy more beat up, sadder, pathetic on television than I did Dallas Woodhouse the day that this announcement was made. That for the North Carolina Republican Party, this is a real, real black guy and a real body. Blow. Absolute stain. And, yeah. Absolute stain. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could feel bad for him, <laughs> but well, I don't. I wouldn't say that Brad feels particularly bad for his brother either. No, he doesn't. <laughs> no, he, as he told us here on the show, he ripped into him. <laughs> yes. On the 2020 front, one more little election story. Yeah, you know, he is so Hamlet-like. Come on, Joe. 
God, make up your mind and jump in or don't jump in, right? I mean, at this point, uh, I'm just tired. I, I don't know. I think I've spent the last 30 years wondering whether Joe Biden's going to run for president or not. And here we are again. But he was at the University of Delaware yesterday, asked about this. Uh, and he said, of course, I'd love, I'd love to be president. We're, we're in the final stages of that decision. And uh, but uh, it would be the, you know, the greatest honor of my life to uh, to be president of the United States. But haven't made a decision. We're still still weighing it. I, I can die a happy man never having lived in the White House. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to take people's time, effort and uh, and, 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 and commitment without there being a clear shot that I could be the nominee. Uh, and he also said that he had they had a big family meeting, including the grandkids again with this again. Right. And they took a vote. And he said the most important people in his life want him to run. All right, you read the tea leaves. I've given up, right? I mean, I've gone from being absolute certain he was going to run to then thinking, no, he's taken so long, he's probably not going to. Then you hear these comments yesterday, maybe he will. I guess say for his own good, I love Joe Biden. He would be a great president of the United States. I'm not sure he wins the Democratic primary, neither is he, but uh, he'd be certainly a force and probably start out as a front runner. But damn it, Joe, you got to make up your mind. Make up your mind. All right, with Michael Cohen coming in and uh, rumors that the um, Mueller investigation is about to shut down and issue its final report. Good time to check in with our friend uh, Matt Ford from the New Republic on all of the uh, legal investigations now going on, their status and likely outcome. We'll take a quick break. Matt Ford joins us on the other side when we come back. Don't go away. Wednesday, February 27. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. How about it? On a Wednesday. Wednesday, February 27. Hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us. Uh, with lots and lots to talk about on a big news day today. Uh, all eyes... Uh, on Hanoi, a split screen, as we told you, is going to be for the rest of the week. All eyes on Hanoi uh, and the big summit un- now underway and all eyes here in Washington, D.C. on testimony by Michael Cohen in front of the House Oversight Committee. Matt Ford covers the law and the courts for the uh, New Republic. Good friend here back in studio with us this morning. Matt's good to see you. Good to be back. Uh, and as you know, we started uh, about a half hour ago uh, stirring things up here. So I wanted to check in uh, with our listeners and viewers here for just a second before we move on. Peter? Yeah, a couple of comments here. First of all, let's check in with our buddy Romaine up in Chicago. Uh, He was uh, tweeting at me yesterday saying that he was making sure he went out and voted in the primary. He says Lori Lightfoot will win. He says the city is still angry with Preckwinkle over bag and sugar taxes. For what it's worth, that's Romaine's take on it. Uh, he also pointed out, we weren't sure. I thought that Bill Daly was chief of staff. You thought he was commerce secretary. Somebody pointed out uh, Daly was secretary of commerce. Yes. Then he became Obama's chief of staff. So we were both right. Got it. All yeah, right. We were both okay. right there. Okay. Okay. Uh, a couple of other comments here uh, about, let's let's <laughs> just do the Michael Cohen stuff. Let's get that out of the way. Uh, Ron says, Michael Cohen lies to protect Trump. The GOP knows but says nothing. Cohen tells the truth, and GOP calls him a convicted liar. It's like the old joke about a man who kills a spin- 
mercy because he's an orphan. Yeah, that's, that's about right. Uh, we just played some clips of Joe Biden, who is still trying to figure out whether or not he's going to run in 2020. Uh, Runner Lady on Twitter says, Joe does not need to run. Let him live out his golden years in peace, and we have enough great candidates already in the running. That's one person's take. Mm-hmm. If you have a take on that or any other topic, find us on Twitter at BP Show. Right. We've had several people make that point, um, and it's, it's got a lot of validity to the point. Remember uh, Marcus Melitos from uh, Delhi Coast in last week said uh, Joe Biden should, he wants him to go out a winner, not a loser. And if he doesn't run, he goes out a winner as uh, the vice president that we all love and remember. Uh, and if he runs and doesn't get the nomination, mm-hmm. he'll go out yet again a failed presidential candidate. So I'm sure that's one of the things that the Biden family considered or is considering uh, and Joe is considering in his decision. So, Matt, Michael Cohen, should we believe him or not? Uh, Well, that's going to be the big question today. Uh, The real thing that's going to be worth looking out for here is whether he can corroborate what he says, um, because it's his word versus Trump's. And while Trump is not exactly known as as an arbiter of truth and justice in the American way in this sense, uh, Cohen's been convicted of lying to Congress. So he has the burden of proof here to prove that what he's saying is correct. Yeah. So let's start there. Michael Cohen has admitted he lied to Congress, yep. convicted of it. Mm-hmm. He lied to the U.S. Attorney in New York, right, has yep. admitted that. He has been, just two days ago, right, disbarred. Right, yeah, literally within the last 48 hours. Uh, because of his lies to um, to law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's been sent to prison for, what, three years? Three or four years, yeah. Right, because of his lying to Congress, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so this now this guy now comes before the House Oversight Committee. I mean, the Republicans He's got some strikes against him in terms of credibility. Right. I mean, it's a fair point brought up by they're not necessarily bringing it up in good faith, but it's a fair point by Republicans to note this guy does not come before them with clean hands. Uh, so what's really going to be important here is to see what he can provide in the way of documentary evidence of what he claims. And for the Stormy Daniels payments, uh, he says he has checks signed by Trump or, or somebody close to him. Uh, that show that the president was still taking part in Trump organization business and still orchestrating these hush money payments while he was in the Oval Office. Uh, so that would be powerful evidence. While he was president, not while just he was candidate. President. Yeah, this right. would have been in... in Knew 20... they were illegal? Uh, I mean, that's that's the question here. Now, you know, Cohen is, is going to say that, that Trump is a crook and that he does these, sor- these sorts of things all the time. Um, but the president might say, look, I was just doing what I thought was appropriate to hide something that would be damaging. Uh, the federal prosecutors of Manhattan say that's a campaign finance violation, though. On the part of, pardon me, on the part of Donald Trump. Right. This is one, one of the things that Cohen was convicted of back in last August. So for, according to federal prosecutors, what happened was a crime. So you've read most of his testimony that he's going to give, right? Mm-hmm. It has it's been leaked or provided to Politico. Uh, so... In terms of criminal activity, that's one line of that, that Michael Cohen's going to talk about, right? Right. The hush money payments to Stormy Daniels, Sky McDougal. And the other is the Roger Stone stuff. Yeah. Uh, one of the, the key moments that he brings up during this opening statement is the an exchange that he had uh, with the president back in the summer of 2016, sort of the months right before WikiLeaks dumped those uh, stolen Democratic emails. In which he uh, says that Cohen, he was on, he overheard a phone conversation between uh, Trump and Roger Stone, in which they discussed the upcoming disclosure before it happened. Uh, 
And if that is true, that shows the president was directly aware of Stone's back-channel communications long before he ever admitted doing that. He has said publicly that he had no idea any of this was going on. And Cohen says he was in the room and saw something directly to the contrary. Or heard. Or heard, yeah. Something directly to the contrary, meaning. So is this collusion? Uh, I mean, it depends on what Trump said. If Trump gave Stone encouragement or, or asked him to do that, that would certainly place the president close to the conspiracy. Uh, now, if, if he was just saying, oh, okay, well, you know, have fun talking to this guy stuck in the embassy in, in London, uh, the president could say, look, I, I was just, you know, just being me, just being the kind of crazy off-the-cuff guy that you know I am. Uh, but certainly it puts him close to collusion than we've been before. All right. And that's something that's dangerous for him. All right. So Cohen's already convicted. He's already going to prison. What? Why is he test? What, what is this testimony all about? What What can he accomplish today? He's not going to shorten his time in prison. No, right? that certainly doesn't seem to be possible on the table. Or right not now. going to reverse his conviction. No, uh, I mean his conviction so was aligned to Congress. Yeah. Is this just a case of pure revenge that you know Donald Trump brought him down? Now he wants to bring Donald Trump down, or I mean, what's maybe going on? Uh, you know, it could be that. It could be also clearing his conscience. You know, this is a guy who spent his entire adult life working for Donald Trump, basically. I mean, he did some legal work before joining the Trump Organization, but the bulk of his life has been President Trump's fixer, um, going around and cleaning up his messes. And now he sees where that's gotten him. Uh, he's about to spend four years in prison for lying to Congress on behalf of this man, a man who frequently denigrates him in public, a man whose allies threatened to, you know, leak information about his private life uh, to embarrass him, um, you know, he might want to go into prison with a clean conscience. He might want to try to, you know, provide some restitution for what he's done over the years. Um, who responds on the part of Donald Trump to all of this, these charges? Trump himself? He's not going to testify. He's not going to testify, no. Uh, as fun as that would be. Yeah. Uh, no, it's going to be Republicans in Congress. It's going to be people like Jim Jordan, people like Matt Gaetz, um, sort of these these ultra-conservative uh, members of the House Freedom Caucus who have hitched their political wagons to the presidency. And now they, you know, have to defend him. Um, you know, we saw last night Matt Gaetz uh, trying basically what many people took as witness intimidation uh, to keep <coughs> Cohen from testifying. Uh, I think that goes to show how fervent they are in discrediting him and, and disproving him. Right. We uh, we read in the last uh, half hour Matt Gates's tweet saying again, uh, hey, Michael Cohen, do your wife and father-in-law know about your girlfriends? <laughs> right. I mean, one of the things... Which is rather ironic that he's defending Donald Trump by accusing somebody else of right. cheating on his wife. Well, wait I till mean, this guy hears about what the president's been doing. I think we all know what the president's been doing. <laughs> but, I mean, this is, this is sort of a, a common thread in Trump's presidency. I mean, one of the most uh, striking parts of uh, James Comey's book a few months ago was his description of Trump as sort of a mafia boss, this man who sort of cultivates uh, a very peculiar sense of loyalty um, at the cost of everything else. And, and Tr Cohen refers to this, not directly, but kind of hints at this throughout his opening statement. That Trump never directly tells him to commit a crime. Trump never says, go lie to Congress. Trump never says, uh, lie about the business deals of Moscow. Um, what he simply says is just he asserts over and over again what the lie is and then goes out and does that himself with the expectation that Cohen will do the same thing.
Right. And the understanding that, of course, if he doesn't, he's going to go to prison. He's not going to get pardoned. Nothing good is going to happen to him. All right. So can we assume that anything Michael Cohen says today, he has already told Robert Mueller? That would be the assumption, yeah. Um, there are certain topics that he's probably not going to talk about, uh, especially we'll see how much he doesn't talk about the Russian investigation, for example. Supposedly they're not going to get into Russia today at all. Right. His his opening statement kind of hints at some aspects of it, so they may try to test those boundaries. But yeah, federal prosecutors don't want him to talk about things that are related to cases they're still trying to build. Um, now, that may not include what he's, what he's lied to Congress about, um, for example, the Roger Stone stuff. Uh, and the Moscow deal, but he presumably won't speak broad, more broadly than that. Right. Uh, which raises the question then is, what veracity do you give to reports last week, uh, CNN and others were reporting, that Mueller has basically concluded his investigation and all he has to do is write the report, wrap it up, tie it with a bow, hand it to Bill Barr, and go home. Well, it would certainly make sense. Uh, you know, there are some indications that that, that is happening. What? Uh, what are they? Well, for example, Matt Whitaker said a few weeks ago that the investigation was close to wrapping up. Uh, and that's, he, he would know because he was acting attorney general at the time. Uh, it's known that Rod Rosenstein is leaving within the next few weeks. And he was widely expected that his leaving would be in tandem with uh, sort of the conclusion of this whole thing. Um, Mueller has been siphoning off various portions of the investigation to the other U.S. attorney's offices in D.C., in New York, in Virginia, um, so that the cases that he's already built will continue to be prosecuted out. Um, so if he were, if he weren't wrapping up, it wouldn't be surprising. You know, things can change the last minute. New testimony could, uh, new evidence could be available. Um, but it's certainly pointing in that direction. Right. Uh, but, but as you, it, but there's pieces of it, and maybe you already indicated the answer is that won't be finished. Paul Manafort hasn't even been um, got sentenced yet, right? Yeah. And I mean, that, that, at that point, it's... Rick it's, Gates, whatever happens to him, whatever happens to Roger Stone. I mean, these things are not going to be finished in the next couple of weeks. Right. But, you know, for some of these things, they can be handled by line prosecutors at, at, at in, in the U.S. attorney's offices. You don't need Robert Mueller to stick around for another six months uh, to oversee Manafort's sentencing process. Um, you know, the real question is, what did he get out of this? What, what did, you know, he's, he's gotten cooperation from a bunch of witnesses. We still don't know what Michael Flynn has provided. Um, we still don't know what some of these other people that he's con- that he's secured uh, plea deals from have provided in full. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see now that he has the chance to sort of step back and build some sort of broader thing, whatever that may look like, what are the conclusions going to be? Right. Um, and so he could wrap up his report, but th- that doesn't mean these other people are off the hook. Right? No, it certainly doesn't. Um, the report, what, what it's really going to be is it's going to, you know, it could take a, a few different forms, but what most people expect is that he'll simply report to the attorney general, in this case, Bill Barr, uh, the decisions he made, why he did prosecute, why he didn't prosecute, and whether he thinks there's any other actions that should be taken. Um, and since the president can't be prosecuted under current DOJ regulations, um, that could include recommending articles of impeachment to Congress. That in- could include turning over materials he obtained to lawmakers so they can decide whether impeachment is is justified here, uh, especially in the case of obstruction, um, which we, we, we haven't seen much action from, but we know he's been looking into heavily. So if Mueller concludes his report and there's all these findings and yet he doesn't make any, he does not come to the point of saying, yes, there was collusion mm-hmm. or yes, there was obstruction of justice, Donald Trump wins. 
I mean, it's, it's certainly possible. Uh, you know, the I, I, I would be really surprised if, if Mueller came out all, of all this and said there was no obstruction of justice. Um, there certainly seems to be, based on what we all publicly know, uh, to be a pretty strong case for obstruction of justice. Collusion is a little murkier because collusion isn't actually a term used in, in criminal law. Right. Uh, you know, Mueller is not there as some sort of grand inquisitor to find, you know, the absolute elemental truth of what happened. He's there to see if there were any crimes committed and whether he can prosecute them. Um, so if he doesn't find evidence that, that he thinks would allow a, you know, slam dunk case against the president on conspiracy to defraud the United States or something, um, he may not move forward, but that doesn't mean, historically speaking, uh, just because you can't prove that to a jury doesn't mean you can't prove it to the American public. Uh, so that it, it could be used by members of Congress maybe to right. move forward. If you, if you find something like that, and you know, this is also a counterintelligence investigation. I, I, and I was referring to your recent piece with a headline, not that you write the headlines, <laughs> did Trump win his war on the Russia investigation? What mm-hmm. do you mean by that? Well, I mean, this is this is one of the most troubling aspects of it is that the way that he has used sort of the power of the presidency uh, to suppress it. Well, um, yeah, to suppress it and ridicule it and undermine its credibility and, you know, on a daily basis. Right. right? And, you know, we're used witch to... Hunt, witch hunt, witch hunt, Exactly. You know, we're used to, to criminal defendants not being thrilled that they're being under investigation, um, being critical of that. What makes this different is that Trump can actually materially affect the investigation. And the biggest, most tangible effect of that is pardons. Uh, it certainly seems like, and, and Mueller's team has mentioned this in court filings, uh, that Paul Manafort uh, did not provide full answers when he briefly tried to cooperate with Robert Mueller because he was expecting a pardon from Donald Trump. Which he still could get. Which he still could get. He could get that tomorrow. He could get that, you know, right. from Hanoi. Um, <laughs> it, it's, I mean, the, the, the rules for pardons are, are pretty limited. You just, you, they only apply to federal crimes. Uh, and and they you know can't be used to prevent impeachment, which doesn't apply in Manafort's case. So he could do it whenever he wants, as long as he's still president. That is is a hurdle that Mueller can't really effectively overcome. Now he can he can try to get Manafort charged in state courts, which Trump can't touch because the pardon doesn't affect state level crimes. Um, but you know when you're when you're trying to pursue these cases, if you have the president of the United States working against you, that's a formidable obstacle. Um, that's something that isn't easily overcome, and I think we should take that into account when, when gauging the, the success of Mueller's investigation. Well, and just by the way, um, Michael Cohen is certainly not ex- expecting and should not expect a presidential pardon. No, I, th- I think it's fair <laughs> to say he's the only person in this entire thing who, who has that, that guaranteed. Uh, he's closed the door on that one. Yeah. Uh, so meanwhile, whatever happens to the Mueller investigation, um, what about these other investigations that are ongoing – the Southern District of New York, U.S. Attorney, and the New York Attorney General, among others, right? I mean, that's... that's they're independent and they continue. That's right. right. Uh, and and they're can, looking at not collusion, n- nothing to do with Russia. They're looking at Trump business dealings? That appears to be the case. We know that there's something going on in the Southern District of New York, up in the Federal Prosecutor's Office in Manhattan, looking at the Trump Organization. We know that federal prosecutors here in D.C. are looking at the Trump inaugural committee and sort of the slushy flow of cash from donors, people with foreign connections. It's illegal for foreigners to donate to U.S. elections and to U.S. Um, political action committees. Illegal. It's illegal for that, yeah. Uh, and so the sort of exchange of money there is certainly under scrutiny. Uh, you know, there, there was a thinking that, that for a while uh, in the White House, uh, it's been widely reported, that, that the ultimately – 
the New York investigation would be a more dangerous threat to the president in the long term mm-hmm. than the Mueller investigation would be. Uh, and I think that we're going to see in the next few months whether or not that bears out. And that one, I mean, if they say there's that Robert Mueller has been so good, which he has been at keeping secrets. Mm-hmm. So we sort of know the main direction of his investigation, but didn't know exactly what he's come up with. Still, we don't know, right? Yeah. As you just indicated. There's also a lot of secrecy around what's happening in New York. I mean, right? We don't know for sure. Uh, are they looking at the financial ties with Russia, with Saudi Arabia? I don't know, with violations of New York law or what? I mean, it could be all manner of things. One of the things that, that's really striking about the Trump organization, and this comes through, we, we've learned a lot of this through how, how Trump has approached uh, the Russian investigation itself, is that Trump d- didn't run the, the, his company like a normal company. Um, he used it almost sort of as a status symbol. He used it as a means to secure other ends. As, you know, there, there's an unusual amount of melding between his personal interests, his business interests, his political interests. And when you have a company run that unconventionally, uh, you, you certainly have to wonder if there's something going on b- under the hood there. If, if what he's doing um, in the day-to-day business there would raise questions if a federal prosecutor took a good look at them. Uh, I'm sure that's something that he's worried about now that, that federal prosecutors appear to be closing in on him there. Um, getting away from the Trump White House for just a second, you've, and you in covering the law and the courts uh, for the New Republic, it's newrepublic.com. Uh, I've also been writing about this very troubling Jesse Smollett case. Um, he basically hoodwinked law enforcement authorities in Chicago, didn't he? That's what they're saying, yeah. Uh, and, and if that's the case, that's really troubling. Uh, I mean, hate crimes are a real potent problem in this country, as we've seen, especially over the last few years. Yeah, they've um, actually been going up, right? Right. So, and, and so I understand when this one, I'm, myself too, when this was reported, you know, a lot of people just saw this as yet one more evidence of a hate crime mm-hmm. uh, against a prominent African-American gay um, actor, right, yeah. very well known, uh, as a very believable charge. Right. It's certainly not completely plausible. And, you know, you, you, one thing we saw even last week is that there were hate crimes uh, reported by police in cities and towns around the Midwest. It certainly isn't an uncommon occurrence. Um, so, yeah, that's that's one of the things that made it so disappointing is that now you have something that people can use in bad faith uh, to sort of discredit hate crimes as a whole. And obviously that's it's not true. You know, hate crimes happen. You can't discredit something that happens. Uh, but you can ins- sow seeds of doubt in people um, that make them less likely to believe victims when they do come forward. And that's pretty damaging. He um, certainly, well, one would have to say that his uh, acting career um came to an abrupt end, uh, I would think. Maybe not, but um, what happens to him legally? Well, he's currently facing a felony charge of filing a false police report, um, and you can expect that Chicago prosecutors will pursue that pretty hardly. Uh, you know, this is a, a case that they apparently have devoted a ton of resources to. Uh, he's, he's well, a, I'm sure they feel blindsided by him. Right. right? Uh, they're, they're, I mean, they, they certainly aren't happy that they spent the last month or so chasing their tails over what now appears to be be a false uh, account. Um, so they're going to go at this pretty hard. He could face some jail time for this. He could face fines. Um, but it's certainly going to be more damage on the reputational front. This is something that's going to negatively affect his career for years to come. Um, 
which is sort of a sad irony because apparently one of the reasons that prosecutors say he, he tried to do this was to bolster that career. Um, the Democrats now with their oversight power, um, what kind of activity do you see on their front in terms, particularly in the terms of the use of the subpoenas to investigate uh, possible wrongdoing on the part of either Trump cabinet officials or the Trump White House? Uh, One of the most interesting aspects I think we're going to see over the next few months is when they look at some of the things that we already knew were scandalous. Um, It's possible they could find new things, uh, things that we didn't know about publicly. But one of the things that was really striking about the last two years of Republican governance was how little oversight was done. And when we think about things like the travel ban and the early chaotic rollout there. Got to stop you. We're going to see a lot of activity on that front. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the uh, labor secretary might be uh, involved in that, too. Hey, Matt, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for your good work at New Republic, newrepublic, newrepublic.com. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And the talks are underway in Hanoi, and uh, in just uh, less than two hours, Michael Cohen will be stepping up in front of the House Oversight Committee here in Washington, D.C. Take your pick. They're both worth watching, taking time out today to see what happens. Hello, everybody. It's a Wednesday, February 27. This is the Bill Press Show. We are live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. Uh, Yes, looking at Hanoi, looking at Washington here, looking at the big vote yesterday in the House of Representatives, where the House voted 242 to 185 to nullify Donald Trump's emergency declaration. Uh, That goes now to the Senate where um, the vote is just one vote short of passing uh, the United States Senate uh, and going on to the president of the United States. Uh, The big question is, is it constitutional or not? Even Mitch McConnell yesterday, the Senate Republican leader, said he's not sure that what the president did is legal. If he's not sure, ah, who can be sure? Um, But he still says he supports it. So much to talk about on so many fronts. Uh, We want to uh, hear from you as what you think about the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. And one interesting question raised by uh, Cliff Sims in his uh, recent book called uh, The Team of Vipers about his time in the White House is whether the White House can silence him and others from talking about their time in the White House through a nondisclosure agreement That's just one of the issues we want to talk about with our next guest. Irvin McCullough is the National Security Analyst for the Government Accountability Project. Joining us in studio, Irvin, it's good to see you. 
Great to be here, Bill. All right. Good that you're on top of all of this stuff for us and tell us what's going on. Uh, so we got lots to talk about, lots you're going to want to comment on. Get ready. Send your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first, Peter's got the this big headlines. The full the court press. Oh, yeah. All the big stories out there. All right. We All right. said farewell to Megyn Kelly last year. Remember, yeah. believe it or not, you know, she we're still. got a lot of money for. She got a lot of money. She got a lot of money. Yeah. So she had to. She was sort of booted from NBC because of her comments about blackface. Uh, weirdly prescient, considering what we're dealing with in Virginia right, right now. Uh, but rumors are circulating. She is eyeing a return to TV. She has told friends, this is according to page six, by the way, that she wants to get back onto TV to cover the 2020 presidential election. Not sure if she'll be welcome back, and I'm not sure who will welcome her I was going to say, who's going to hire her? I don't know. That's a good. That's a very good question. I but mean, she only, wants to be back on TV, right? Um, she's she was at Fox. She was. She left Fox for NBC. Yeah, I mean, so my first that, guess. Those would two be, are not going to hire her. I was going to say my first guess would be like, oh, well, she'd be perfect for Fox, but Fox isn't going to take her. Again. No, CNN's not going to take her. MSNBC is not going to take her. I'd hope not. I'd like to hope. Not. Free speech TV is not going to take <laughs> her. <laughs> That's right. Damn right. <laughs> Okay, in other news, yesterday, the United Methodist Church had a vote because they were <coughs> talking about same-sex marriage and LGBT clergy. This was at the church's general conference in St. Louis. They took a vote. 438 to 384 was the vote upholding and strengthening their ban on same-sex marriage and LGBT clergy. What year is this, by the way? What, yeah, last time I checked, this? it was 2019. You know, I mean, it's crazy. It is insane. And what gets me is I always thought the Methodists were a pretty progressive church. Well, here's what they pointed out. There are a lot there, there are a lot of free. I mean, you saw how close the vote was, right? This is just yeah. a matter of yeah. about 50 right. votes that separated them. They say that a lot of churches have evolved, but there are still a lot of, specifically, they say, almost every African-American Methodist church uh, voted to uphold this. So there is a little bit of a divide there uh, in that in that sense. So, you know, I don't know when they're going to take this up again. I don't know what happens. And now. they claim they claim that it's their Christian duty to discriminate. Yeah, that's what they claim. Boy, that's BS. This is the Bill Press Show. He is a racist, a con man, and a cheat. (laughs) Uh, That's just the opening words of Michael Cohen today, according to his prepared testimony that he's going to present to the House Oversight Committee. Uh, Yes, you can expect fireworks. uh, And he says that he is going to uh, present evidence that on at least two occasions uh, the president was involved in criminal activity. Uh, Michael Cohen, who has some credibility problems of his own, saying he's going to give his side of the story, and then uh, people can decide between which of the two admitted professed liars, Michael Cohen or Donald Trump, is in this case telling the truth. What a weird day on Capitol Hill. Uh, But get ready for it, folks. Good to see you today. It's Wednesday, February 27th. This is the Bill Press Show. We start out, as always, on our, in our studio on Capitol Hill and uh, end up, as always, right alongside of you, wherever you are, 
in this great land of ours, joining you online, on television, and on the radio, coast to coast with all the news of the day. Uh, thank you for joining us, and don't forget, send us your comments on Twitter, at VP Show. And check out our podcast at thebillpressshow.com. Very excited, very proud of our podcast, and more and more of you uh, who make podcast your way of catching up on the news of the day. The thing about podcasts. Um, and there's so many out there. Oh, yeah. But whatever platform you go to your podcast, we're there. Well, so. The thing about the podcast is uh, things move very, very quickly these days. I don't know if you noticed that, right? Uh, right. And so, you know, look, we, we try and keep up as best as we can, and we put on a daily podcast, which a lot of folks don't do. So if you want to get caught up or you miss something and you want to come, you know, we, we got you covered. We got you covered. All right. Uh, yes, and again, uh, Urban McCullough is here from the Government Accountability Project. Uh, tell us about the Government Accountability Project. First of all, how long have you been around? Kind of what are you generally looking at? Sure. So the Government Accountability Project is a nonprofit law firm that represents whistleblowers. So we've been very busy in the Trump administration. We're all about good governance uh, and accountability, generally promoting oversight with free speech rights. So people come to you um, if they have uh, evidence of some wrongdoing in their agency or department? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And you help them? We help them navigate all those waters. It's a very tricky process to make sure that they can still be protected, that they're not retaliated against, or when they are retaliated against, that they have a leg to stand on. So we help them navigate all those waters help them make a disclosure, work with Congress, work with all the all the overseers out there to ensure that accountability is done in the government. And are you uh, active just at the federal level? No, not just at the federal level, not just in the government. We also have a large private sector practice. Oh, I see. So private corporations, mm -hmm. again, right? Right. For people. Right. And... Um, and state government or state agencies as well? We do some. We do some state-level work. We do some D.C. Council, county work. I believe that we just helped with a D.C. county uh, or D.C. council hearing mm -hmm. this week. Right. And what, so what is the forum if they have a complaint that goes to to, to a court or is there um, – do, do agencies or corporations have some kind of a committee or board that – that mm. hears those first? or Sure. So it definitely depends on the type of employee. My specialty is the intelligence community and the military. So in the intelligence community, you have different inspectors general throughout the community that all are in charge of waste, fraud, and abuse inside the intelligence community, inside their own agencies. You have Congress. You have the House Intelligence Committee. You have the Senate Intelligence Committee, which Michael Cohen testified before yesterday. Mm -hmm. And then you have the House Oversight Committee and the Homeland, the Senate Homeland Security Government Affairs Committee that all have different oversight responsibilities. So we work with whistleblowers to present them before the inspectors general, before those committees, things like that. Right. So you are a, a nonprofit law firm, right? We are. Focused on, in your specialty, whistleblower cases. Now, let's get to this. So don't ask me why, but I read Cliff Sims' book. Uh, Cliff Sims, the... Um, Young assistant, he was a, a had a journal called Yellowhammer, Peter, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. from Alabama. Yellowhammer right. from Alabama. Uh, supported, Don interviewed Donald Trump, ended up being a part of the Trump campaign, going to the Trump White House. He was there about 500 days, whatever. And, and he left, really fired by John Kelly, and wrote this book called Team of Vipers where he settles some scores <laughs> in the White House. But the White House is a, and, and tells some stories. He particularly goes after um, uh, Kellyanne Conway. Mm -hmm. 
um, and others, um, not so mean to Donald Trump, more mean to some of the people around him, and say uh, you know, almost everybody, there were these, all these, it, it was a team of vipers. They were all out to kind of get each other. But, but the White House came back and said, no, you signed a non-disclosure agreement. You signed an NDA. If you work there, you cannot talk about your days at the White House. Can they do that? Well, how no. effective are these <laughs> NDAs? Uh, these NDAs in the government. So it, when you actually become a White House employee, if there is an NDA that you sign as a White House employee, not on campaign staff, but as a federal employee, yeah, then if you try to, if a White House employee tries to enforce that NDA on you, uh, your their salary can be slashed by Congress. Whose salary? The White House employees. Who, who is trying to enforce the NDA? Oh, that's the so I wrote an op-ed in the Washington, for, for the Washington Post on Monday about this. Last week there was a big story that broke in the Daily Beast about all White House interns having to sign NDAs. Yeah, I saw that right, mm-hmm. and that is absolutely laughable because it is such a clear violation of this relatively obscure appropriations law. So for the past ten years, every year in the Consolidated Appropriations Act, there has been a rider that says if you are a federal employee and you try to prohibit another federal employee or intern mm-hmm. from communicating with Congress, your salary can be slashed. You can't use any of the funds that we appropriate as Congress in this bill to pay your salary. And the way that can be enforced is any Congress member can uh, request, write to the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, request some type of investigation or report. That happens. Mm-hmm. They would compare the NDA with the law. And given what we're hearing about these NDAs, it seems like a clear-cut blue-chip violation of law. So um, in, in the sense of Cliff Sims, mm-hmm. first of all, they can't cut his salary because he's no longer working there, right? No, no. Um, they can't say you don't have a right. And, and Sims has responded. You can't say I don't have a right to tell my story. Right. Yeah, no, they can't, they can't tell him that. Uh, and because he was campaign staff for the NDA on the campaign trail, it is a bit different. It still is very unenforceable. And a gr- he has an excellent attorney, uh, Mark Zaid, who's representing him, a good colleague of mine, mm-hmm. who has written also an op-ed in the Washington Post about how unenforceable that is. Yeah. But when you're actually a White House employee, there's a different track for those NDAs. And those NDAs are not only unenforceable, they are illegal. And if you try to enforce them, your salary can be slashed. Right. Well, um, I... Worked at one time um, for Governor Jerry Brown in uh, in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. I never signed an NDA. I was never asked to sign an NDA. I wouldn't have known what one was at the time, I guess. But I I do remember that um, that there was always this um, fear that somebody around that table was taking notes <laughs> and was going to write a tell-all <laughs> book, right? And every once in a while, you know, Jerry would say, mm-hmm. "Now don't." Press, don't put that in your book or something like that, you know, just sort of to make the point. I never had the intention of it, and I never did. Um, but the, uh, I guess I'm getting to the point where um, the point I'm making, I guess, is you do want to maintain some kind of, I don't know, um, security or privacy about some internal mm-hmm. discussions, right? You don't want everything to end up on the front page of the newspaper. That's absolutely right. You don't want to govern in a fishbowl. Right. So um, how do you prevent that then? Isn't it the NDA a means of doing that? Or is there any other way? Is it just pure trusting people? Sure. So one way you could do that is by having an NDA that grants a lot of exceptions. So 
so a lot of lawful exceptions. So you have a blanket NDA, but then if you want to go to Congress, if you see a violation of law, rule, or regulation, if you see waste, fraud, abuse, if you see gross mismanagement, you have an exception in this NDA to go to Congress, to go to the media, uh, to, to do anything to report that, to actually become a whistleblower. That's how you could effectively do that. So you, you, you sort out real wrongdoing, if you will. Exactly. Huh? Right. Exactly. Right. Um, so you don't. So if they tried to enforce anything against Cliff Sims, wouldn't work. Would saying. not work. Very unenforceable. Uh, other federal agencies, same rule applies. Absolutely. Not just the White House. Absolutely. The same same exact rule applies. And there's actually a broader category too. That whistleblower exception that I was talking about in NDAs that is mandated by law in the same Consolidated Appropriations Act and a different appropriations rider. There are two paragraphs that, by statute, you have to have in every federal NDA. If you don't have those two paragraphs, and these two paragraphs say, you, if you are a whistleblower, this entire thing is null and void. Right. Uh, if you don't have those two paragraphs, the NDA is entirely unenforceable. So what, what are the kind of things that people come to you, I'm curious about, mm -hmm. um, whistleblowing? I mean, sure. are, are we talking financial mismanagement, sexual harassment, or? It's a little bit of everything. And that's one of the reasons why I, I love my job You get a so lot much. of them? Oh, we do. We really have uh, gotten a lot. So we represented uh, a man named Kevin Chmielewski. He was Scott Pruitt's deputy chief of staff. He was a whistleblower within the EPA who made protective disclosures on a lot of process management by Scott Pruitt, worked with the House Oversight Committee. There was a hearing that was scheduled that kind of pushed Scott Pruitt out and forced him to resign. Uh, I was working on that case. We Last week there was a- Did he testify mm -hmm. in front of Congress or? Uh, in a closed session before mm -hmm. the House Oversight Committee with staff. Um, we got, last week there was the big story about the Saudi Arabian uh, Middle East Marshall Plan where Mike Flynn, this consulting firm IP3 in the White House, were trying to sell nuclear technologies to Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. We represent whistleblowers, uh, a whistleblower who was at the center of that. That all came out of a report that Elijah Cummings and his committee authored. We get things all over the gambit. Whistleblowers really run the gambit. Uh, and um, they just they just show up at your door with these stories, right? You have to investigate them to see if they're... We do, absolutely. They're, they're credible, right? That's the first step, is we do a verification study to ensure that everything is above board, that whatever... We first conduct our own internal investigation of the whistleblower's claims, of the disclosure. That way, whenever we work with the overseers, with Congress, with the different inspectors generals, they know that we give them a big dossier of the disclosure, all the evidence supporting the disclosure, any type of retaliation, all the evidence supporting that retaliation. We do all the work for the federal investigators. They just look at this, they go through, they do their own investigation, and then we can actually see some real accountability. Okay, now, um, on the corporate side, mm -hmm. are they enforceable? I mean, again, you've got trade secrets, sometimes it's trade secrets mm -hmm. um, that you don't want um, to be, uh, obviously, to become public. Um, can a, can a corporation, A, require, and D, T, to B, enforce a non-disclosure agreement? It really depends. My specialty really isn't on the corporate side. Got it. But, but you know, I mean, you must. Mm -hmm. I, oh, I do, absolutely. Uh, it really depends on the contents of the NDA and on the contents of the whistleblowing disclosure. Uh, you can make certain whistleblowing disclosures to folks at the SEC or in the government. Uh, you can't just go, uh, it, it would be hard to argue for uh, 
blanket NDA that is wholly enforceable all the time with no recourse for whistleblowing. Because we've had seen examples, too, of whistleblowers with mm-hmm. particularly some of the high-tech companies now, you know, Google or Apple or Amazon or whatever, mm-hmm. where, where some... Um, and, and in those cases, uh, there sometimes there could be um, major fines mm-hmm. if, if the violations were found to be. And so does the whistleblower um, get the money from these cases? Well, it depends. In a lot of the cases, it can't. Uh, yes, uh, there's this thing called the False Claims Act, which is a law that says if there is any government monies involved in a in a contract between a business and the government, and a whistleblower makes a disclosure about fraud in the government monies being spent, then the whistleblower is entitled to a bounty. Or in the SEC, in some SEC cases, whistleblowers are entitled to bounties. And that bounty can be if you see ten million dollars worth of fraud in Medicare right. or Medicaid. Yeah. Right. You report that, you go through the system, you can wind up getting a third of that. You can wind up getting a third of the, of the money that the government has recovered. So you can get $3 million from that, from a $10 million fraud case. Which some people could say might um, tempt some people to make claims that are not necessarily true, right? They're, they're hoping to hit the, hit the lottery here through that's, the whistleblower system. That is what some people say, but that's never what we've seen with whistleblowers. Usually these whistleblowers are almost forced into the situation uh, where they see something wrong, they don't know how to report it, they want to try to report it, and they wind up, be, would you rather have a lot, you know, play a one lottery ticket with 1% chance of winning the $3 million bounty when the cost of that lottery ticket is your entire professional career, the cost of retaliation that you could suffer? Uh, usually the answer is no. If you're a whistleblower, you're pushed into that situation. You want to make a disclosure because you care about your company and you care about doing the right thing. Well, you touched on something I want to ask you next, which is we've seen what happens to, I mean, this effort, particularly on the part of the, uh, the Trump administration, but it was also true under the Obama administration, uh, this relentless pursuit of leakers, right? Mm-hmm. I imagine there's a lot of retaliation if they know that somebody is a whistleblower or that has gone to you, if they find out that somebody has actually met with you about some problems in their agency, mm-hmm. whether it's EPA or whatever, um, they're going to make a pretty uncomfortable work environment for them. That's absolutely right. The first reaction, and it's a very human reaction, if you think that someone is trying to undermine you, if you think someone's trying to undercut you, if you think that someone is trying to do the right thing when you're doing the wrong thing, it's a caveman reaction where you just want to smash you just want to retaliate against this, per- this person however you can. Do whatever you can to make them stop attacking you. Stop doing the right thing. Stop trying to hold you to account. And that's why we work our hardest to protect all of our clients. We make sure that they are totally, we, we write the whistleblower policies. We know the whistleblower policies in and out, all the laws in and out. And the law does forbid retaliation against federal employees. So we help whistleblowers make disclosures mm-hmm. totally within the confines of the law. So that way, if they are retaliated against, they we work with the system to ensure that they can get their job back, they can get the promotion that they deserve, they can get all their missed salary, things like that. And do most of them stay on the job? A lot of them do. Uh, you'd be surprised. A lot of the whistleblowers that we work with make protected disclosures, and the second we make, uh, we help them make a disclosure, we tell the agency. We, we usually put the agency, give the agency almost full knowledge. Um, while if it's not anonymous disclosure. And the agencies get very, we tell the agency, if you retaliate against this whistleblower, you're in for a world of hurt. And we say, listen, if you prevent this whistleblower from communicating with Congress, 
then hey, your salary is going to get slashed, and no one wants that. Irvin McCullough is with us from the uh, Government Accountability Project, uh, the website. You can find out a lot more about uh, all the different cases that they're involved with is whistleblower.org, mm-hmm. whistleblower.org. Now, you mentioned you work with national security and, and intelligence agencies. So w- what's going on with the Trump administration? You've got a president of the United States who's almost declared war on the intelligence agencies, I mean, on several occasions, most recently when the heads of several of them testified mm-hmm. publicly in front of Congress uh, and totally disagreed with the president on the Iran nuclear deal, on Syria, on ISIS, mm-hmm. on several big issues. And again, Donald Trump just turned around and said, they don't know what they're talking about. That is terrifying to me. Those heads of the intelligence community made those comments at the Senate worldwide threat hearing before the Senate Intelligence Committee. The worldwide threat hearing, they're going over, these intelligence heads are going over the their worldwide threat assessment. That is a whole community, whole of intelligence community. Everyone across these agencies are working together to compile and analyze all of their information. They say these are the biggest threats that the United States government faces. It is objective fact that these are the threats that we face. When the intelligence community announces that to the public in an effort of transparency and goodwill, we expect that to be treated as almost objective fact. You can question the intelligence, but this is almost objective fact. These are the threats. When the commander-in-chief sees these threats and the intelligence doesn't align with his political persuasion, he goes on the offensive and he attacks these intelligence leaders. That's never something you want. You do not want to politicize intelligence. Intelligence should never be partisan. But that's what we've seen. Uh, no, we've seen it. And it started, you know, early on with uh, the um, influence or the interference of Russia in the 2016 election, of which there is, I don't think, no doubt at all, no question at all. The 17 intelligence agencies unanimously agreed Russia had interfered for the purpose of helping Donald Trump and hurting Hillary Clinton. And the president still has not even acknowledged that that happened, correct? I mean, he has said all those intelligence agencies are wrong, and he's right. That's what's frightening, is when the president rejects objective intelligence. Because Russia did interfere in the 2016 elections. Russia did attempt to interfere in the 2018 midterm elections. We don't know the full extent of their interference in the midterm elections. But instead of listening to this objective intelligence, the president goes on the offensive and attacks the intelligence community. That's never anything that we want to see. And if you're inside the intelligence community, your morale must be shot. You are working 60 to 100 hours a week with sources with uh, either overseas, either here in the D.C. area, overseas, you know, we're working your tail off, and all of a sudden the president is going to just immediately reject whatever you say, all of the hard work that the men and women in our community are doing, just because the president doesn't like the intelligence. And and as, as you just indicated, these are agencies whose um, activity is not limited to the continental United States, right? I mean, they are active mm-hmm. and listening and, and have... Um, uh, people that they work with and other governments or non-governments all around mm-hmm. the world, right? Absolutely. So what is that, and, and and what is the impact when 
let's say the director of the National Intelligence, Dan Coats, testifies, and his boss, the President of the United States, says that Dan Coats is um, is wrong, or doesn't again, not just wrong, doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, I mean, it, that must hurt. I mean, hamper the work of the intelligence agencies around in terms of their credibility, right? It 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 does, as a matter of fact, and that's. Again, what is so frightening about this? You do have people like DNI Coates and uh, DCI, uh, the director of CIA, Gina Haspel, who work with their staff day in and day out to collect and analyze and disseminate objective intelligence. For that to just be rejected by policymakers is frightening. Thankfully, not all policymakers are rejecting this intelligence. The House Intelligence Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee are still using this intelligence. The military is still using the intelligence provided. All you have is the commander-in-chief in a very political manner and partisan manner rejecting objective intelligence. And going back to the the entire intelligence community's assessment on the Russia collusion, uh, mm-hmm. on, pardon me, on the Russian interference in our elections, it's extremely difficult to get all of these agencies and all of the equities inside the intelligence community to agree on one thing. I'm when, sure. Right. When they all come out and say that Russia has influenced the 2016 election. Russia tried to influence the 2018 midterm elections. That's a big deal. And to actually have policymakers reject outright the notion that Russia could influence our elections, that Russia is trying to influence our elections, is frightening because it means that we can't work to stop this. The United States government cannot actually work proactively for 2020 to prevent some type of election interference. How long have you been at the Government Accountability Office? Uh, For about three to four years. Okay. What in your work there, in, 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 in your observation of the work of, of the agency, is uh, d- d- the, the most uh, uh, successful or the most interesting whistleblower project that you saw come down the line? The most interesting project I've ever had was, and actually it was answering the question inside the intelligence community, who watches the watchers? You had the intelligence community inspector general who was in charge of waste, fraud, and abuse across the entire intelligence community. All, all the different agencies? Everything. Everything. By the way, uh, why do we have 17 intelligence <laughs> agencies anyhow? Right? I mean, every time I hear that number, I think, what? There's so many overlapping functions. And usually yeah, it's yeah. not like- I don't uh, even know yeah. what all of them are, but- uh, I mean, it, it, You have, the co- for example, the Coast Guard has an intelligence component, and that's one of those 17. Uh-huh. It's a lot of the different ele- agencies have different one element inside that agency right. that is part of the intelligence. And then community. there's some that are all intelligence, like NSA, CIA, right, DNI. Right. right. Uh, you 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 usually have uh, they're called the big six. You have the DIA, the National Reconnaissance Office, which is they buy it and fly it satellites. The National uh-huh. Geospatial Intelligence Agency, which is geospatial yeah. mapping, that kind of stuff. Okay. Then the usual CIA, NSA. Right. So you were saying yeah. that that the one that you mm-hmm. found most right. interesting was? was It was corruption within the watchdog office that's in charge, that's supposed to watch the right. intelligence community. He, uh, there was the, this Who acting, watches the watchdog? <laughs> is that it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the acting intelligence community inspector general, Wayne Stone, terminated the executive director for whistleblowing and source protection, a man named Dan Meyer. Uh, Dan Meyer was the person who created the modern-day intelligence community whistleblower system, where if you're an intelligence community employee or contractor, you can go to these watchdogs Mm -hmm. and you can make some type of disclosure and generally act as a source. So that way, 
the watchdog can look at the different agencies and tell what's going on. But because he was doing his job so well, he was navigating so many whistleblowers across the system, he yeah. made a lot of enemies <laughs> inside huh, the intelligence right. community. So when the acting intelligence community inspector general kind of realized all this, he, he squashed Dan Meyer out of the job. He shut down the entire program. And that was about a year and a half of just the office was got, was going yeah. blind. Wow. The intelligence community had virtually no oversight on the executive side, just congressional. It's the old spy versus spy, you know, right? <laughs> exactly. Intrigue, literally. intrigue inside the <laughs> intelligence community, indeed. Great work done here by the Government Accountability Project. Irvin McCullough with us. Again, check out the website at whistleblower.org. Thanks, mm-hmm. Irvin, for coming in. Thanks, Thanks so much. Uh, for all that you're doing. Matt Fuller joins us next from HuffPost uh, to take a look at, uh, we got this um, big vote in the House yesterday. Now it's up to the Senate to vote on the emergency declaration. When's that going to happen and what's likely to happen? We'll get the latest from Matt Fuller coming up next. Quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we go. It is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. On uh, Wednesday, February 27. The Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital in our studio on Capitol Hill. Brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard. Yes, indeed, President Leo Girard overseeing the United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Salute them, thank them for the support of the program, and direct you to their website at usw.org. Big vote yesterday in the House. Not unexpected that the... A resolution which would nullify the president's emergency declaration would pass. It did so 245 to 182, right? That's right, yeah. Right? Uh, Matt Fuller knows those numbers right <laughs> off the bat from HuffPost joining us in studio. Matt, good to see you. Good to see you. 13 Republicans, huh? Yeah. Uh, so 182 thought it was everything's on the up and up and all those years about screaming by executive overreach. I mean, that's the thing for me is that you know, yes, 13 Republicans broke with, uh, you know, other the Republican Party and with Trump and said this is, uh, you know, this should be rescinded, essentially. It's a very s- small, narrowly worded resolution, so it's not even like this is illegal or un- unconstitutional. Just this executive action, this national emergency declaration should be rescinded. Uh, but so, yeah, you know, 13, and there's a few of those old constitutional conservatives uh, Justin Mosh, Thomas Massey, and then it's a large collection of moderates, people from districts that, uh, you know, frankly didn't support Trump all that mm-hmm. much. Um, and, you know, 182 Republicans all on board. Uh, and Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, basically said, yes, don't worry about this constitutional question, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't want any, we don't want, we don't, we want to defend the Constitution. We don't want any president that could could be able to to um, basically diminish our powers and add to the powers of the executive, whatever. But don't worry about it in this case. we got to stand behind Donald Trump. Right? Yeah, and, and, and it's just incredible because when you're thinking about what this really is, this is just the president subverting Congress, not going through the, the appropriations process. You know, Congress very explicitly did not uh, appropriate this money for the wall. And he declares a national emergency, one that he said, you know, I don't have to do this. I didn't have to do this, he yeah, said in his February right. 15th. Uh, press conference and just goes ahead and and does it and does whatever he wants and steals money from 
400, uh, you know, potentially 400 military construction projects all over the country uh, from a lot of these Republicans' districts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's n- never really a thought about what a, the f- a future president could do with it. I don't know. Uh, they just sort of, again, McCarthy said, sweep all that aside. Gather, uh, yeah, think about uh, Donald Trump needs your vote because mm-hmm. if too many Republicans vote, then it'll look like maybe they, we could override the veto or something. Right, we got to right. stand behind Donald Trump. I, I thought Speaker Pelosi... Uh, summed it up in one sentence yesterday where she said, addressing the Republicans before the vote, is your oath of office to Donald Trump or is it to the Constitution of the United States? Right, yeah. And Steny Hoyer said a very similar thing, that this is fidelity to, to Donald Trump or fidelity to the Constitution. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's just funny for, again, years of Republicans yelling about Obama's executive overreach, right. uh, yelling about DACA, uh, that they all just sort of fell in line. And I don't know if funny is the word, but interesting. It's pretty funny. It's terrifying, <laughs> but it's pretty funny, too. I mean, you have to acknowledge that, you know, there were memes and signs and all this stuff that people were King talking Obama. about. King Obama. Emperor Obama. Yeah, yeah. And nothing that Obama did came anywhere close to this. Right. Nothing. And again, uh, you pointed out this idea of the precedent. I mean, Republicans will rue the, if this goes through. Will rue the day. Oh sure, sure. And 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 I and I in some ways expect this to to be blocked, particularly because of all the statements that Trump has made that you know undermine his own case um, about you know he didn't have to do this. The, you know, this idea that he toyed with the national emergency for so long it doesn't really seem like an emergency when you you know consider it for months and months and uh, look at the border statistics that you know the the, the right. quote crisis has been lessening. Uh, but yeah, you know the the two instances people always bring up are guns and uh, climate change, and if you ask Republicans, they just say, "Well, I don't think either of those are are national emergencies." So therefore, when that when a Democratic president does do that, I can just you know say, "Oh, well, that's wrong too," because I don't think it's a national emergency, whereas the the border is. And um, you know, some of the Republicans, I you know, I think of Justin Amash has been saying very consistently, this is ridiculous. Re- Republicans should be up in arms. They would be up in arms if this were Obama. Uh, he's always said, you know, it's not a crisis because we all know it's not a crisis. Like it's a, you know, it's just one of those situations where everyone knows that the you could address the border. You can believe that there, we need increased border security, but it doesn't meet that that criteria of this is a crisis. Everyone knows it. Uh, you know, just the very fact that we question it, question it really means this, this isn't a national emergency. The one voice that has spoken uh, about this, uh, to my surprise, in the Senate is uh, Tom Tillis, Republican from North Carolina, who joined Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski in saying he's going to vote no, uh, and making that point. I could not support uh, this but for, also any, for any president. Up for re-election. Up for in re-election. Yeah. In, in North Carolina, a very tough state for Republicans. Um you know, I, I, I don't know how much credit you want to give any any of these guys. I think that really there's just two concerns. There's the ideological and then there's the political. And for anyone, you know, these senators, I, I think it's, you know. But, right. <laughs> yeah. No, he is up for re-election, but he's not the only one who will be up sure, for re-election sure. in 2020. You can give him credit, yeah. <laughs> and know. so Democrats will need uh, four votes, if, assuming, all Demo- I'm sorry, all, assuming all Democrats hold on. Right. They need three to tie or four to carry. They've got three. Uh, if they get one more, right, it's going to pass the I'll, Senate. I'll give him this little bit of credit, right, for Tom Phyllis. Uh, 
he said early on, if Donald Trump did this declaration, he's going to be opposed to it. And he's actually sticking to it. Now, there are a lot of other people. Marco Rubio said he would fight this if he was going mm-hmm. to declare. Has Marco John Rubio, Cornyn. Yeah, John Cornyn. Has Marco Rubio fought this at all yet? No, no. No. And by the way, they'll probably vote for it. I mean, vote against it. Uh, but the one that that I think is the most hypocritical of all is Mitch McConnell, who who railed for three months or three weeks, rather, or maybe three months. Uh, that feels like three years. Emergency <laughs> declaration. Thank you. Feels emergency like declaration. <laughs> we don't want that. The president should not do that. Boom, boom, boom. Right. When the president does it, he says, "Well, you know, I support it." Right. Right. Uh, so yes, you'll never catch Mitch McConnell in, in any sort of hypocrisy. He, oh, no, he, no. he is shameless about that. That's true. Uh, so yesterday, he is asked directly, "Okay, what about this question of uh, it's." constitutionality it's legality now here's a guy now who supports it is it legal we're in the process of weighing that the lawyer was there to make his arguments there were some counter arguments i haven't reached a total conclusion <laughs> well so wonderful wonderfully evasive but yeah you know. but he he can't even no, say of course it is yes yeah. it is we've yeah. looked at it and yes we're it is looking at it yeah <laughs> we're weighing that now yeah so, I mean, he's already supporting it without knowing whether it's constitutional i mean that admission too just i think undercuts their entire argument yeah i mean the very fact that he says that means that he doesn't actually think it's constitutional. Right. Yeah. if, he, if yeah. he had any inkling that it was he'd he'd be saying you know i think it's constitutional but i wonder <laughs> i wonder if it indicates that he's going to fight really hard to block Repo- like McCarthy did to stop Republicans and discourage them from voting for the resolution. It seems I mean, to me it, like he's going to say, do whatever you want. I, I'm not sure it really matters, even if they get the 51 votes that they need to to uh, adopt it, I guess, uh, and send it to the president. He's just going to veto it. We know they don't have right. roughly two. He'll veto it, but it does, and- it does, back to your earlier point, Donald Trump's comments about, I didn't have to do this, certainly gives the opposition in the courts, where I think is ultimately going to be decided, uh, some added weight. If the entire Congress votes to say, yeah, we we would rescind this order, I think that gives the court. I mean, I think there's there's already plenty of legal weight here. Again, you know, it it wasn't an accident or an oversight that that Congress didn't appropriate money for this this purpose. Um, I, I heard yesterday a Republican argue to me that well, it wasn't an accident that um, they didn't block it in a you know in the appropriations bill that they didn't put a rider in saying that this you know can't happen that the fact that this national emergency declaration uh, language exists and has existed for decades um, it's it's funny I just think you know this is not the intended purpose of a national emergency it wasn't intended for this sort of political uh, and this and really just a an end run around Congress um, I think this was actually intended for real emergencies, uh, you know, a, a hurricane or a tornado or something like that. And w- they're rebuilding, you know, infrastructure from sort of a, a military standpoint. Uh, so it, it's 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 just crazy to me that, you know, you you just decide that, well, it is a crisis, so it's all it's it's fine. And you just throw, you know, you throw away the playbook that you've, you know, rail again, railed against Obama for years about executive overreach and defending Congress and the Article One uh, rights, and just you know crumple it up and say, well, "Oh, it's Trump, so it's okay." Right, um, uh, and this does have to be. What I I I was wondering, 
whether or not Mitch McConnell would even allow a vote on this. But so he has to. Right. Priv- under a privilege resolution, you have, I think, 15 days. It can, it can stay in the committee. Mm-hmm. And at that point, any member can bring it up. So it will come up for a vote. Um, I think there could have been some tricks for him to try to get rid of it. But the fact that it looks like it's going to have a majority means they will vote on it, uh, probably will adopt it. It probably will go to the president's desk. He will veto it. And then, you know, there'll be a, a veto override vote. And it will, it, it's, seems like it failed pretty uh, heavily that, you know, it was 245. You need at least probably a 285 with uh, vacancies in the Senate, uh, in the House, sorry. Uh, not vacancies, well, some vacancies, yeah, but right. just absences. And then the Senate, you need 67. And, you know, there doesn't seem like they're going to get close to that either. So it falls right. well short of, uh, uh, you know, an actual veto override. But it does, it, as you said, it, it strengthens the legal case. Right. Uh, now, there's a big show in Hanoi uh, today with the president sitting down for the second summit with Kim Jong-un. But that's going to be um, overshadowed to large a part. sideshow. It's <laughs> going to be a sideshow, right? Yeah. And the main, the main event is going to be right here on Capitol Hill down the street from us in the House Oversight Committee, Elijah Cummings, and star witness Michael Cohen, who uh, his testimony was released yesterday, leaked yesterday. In his opening statement, he calls the president a racist, a con man, and a cheat. Yeah, seems. <laughs> I mean, as you know, he says that he would know. And if you read his his um, testimony, it is it is pretty incredible. I, I you know I know Republicans are going to focus on uh, whether or not you can trust Michael Cohen, whether there's, there's you know the veracity of his statements, and he's already lied to Congress, probably going to go to jail for that. Um, but you know, he says he he's is gonna, going to jail. Right, for that. right, right, yeah, right. Uh, says he's going to provide documentation uh, of, of some of this stuff. Uh, you know, he he testifies that. Trump knew of the sort of the racket with uh, Stormy Daniels that to pay her one hundred thirty thousand dollars, and he was very aware of that. He sort of makes some claims about um, Trump's awareness of the of the Trump Tower meeting with Don Jr., uh, although it's it's still sort of sketchy. He he doesn't say that he knows of any Russian collusion, but he basically paints a picture of Donald Trump as a very bad guy. And on the collusion doctor. thing, he comes close when he says he knew. What Roger Stone was up to, he was talking. Right, he knew that WikiLeaks. Stone was right. He knew right. that WikiLeaks has this stuff coming in from Russia right. uh, to influence the campaign. I mean, I think so that the, the, you know, wasn't... their argument all along has been, you know, we didn't know anything, and then when they know something, well, we didn't ever connect the dots. Or yeah, we didn't know what the right. hell we were doing. Um, you know, I, that that's starting to strain the, you know, the believability code here, and I, and I think you know, as we know, they know so much more than they they've let on. Uh, from the very beginning, and you know how many times they've lied about all this until, and, and then they go back and say, "Oh, actually, we did know this," or they sort of uh, change change the tune. Um, you know, I, I think that we there's a preponderance of evidence at this point that something fishy was going on, and Trump knew something. He, you know, I, we're never going to get the smoking gun of you know Vladimir Putin opening a briefcase with cash or whatever, right. but. Um, any other president, again, this this standard, you know, lawmakers would be going crazy. Uh, you know, the impeachment talk would be, you know, a constant drumbeat. And, and it's amazing to me that we don't see that, right? You know, I, a lot of it's been waiting for the Mueller report, see and, what happens then. But And, and back to Cohen's credibility. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, you you got to admit, this is a guy who has little credibility, right? He's already, a, he's admitted to lying to Congress and been convicted for it, admitted to lying to the New York attorney, been convicted for it. 
He's been disbarred because of lies that he told to law enforcement. He's going to prison because of lies he's told. But at the same time, when you say this guy has lied so much, you can't believe him. You've got to believe Donald Trump. Right, right, right. That, yeah, the next <laughs> who, sentence who is, is tough. Yeah, the next sentence is tough because, yeah. right, there's your... You know, I did think uh, a reporter asked uh, Hakeem Jeffries, the, I think he's the number five uh, Democrat in the House, uh, basically, you know, if if Cohen has lied to Congress before, how do you believe him after that? And, and, mm-hmm. and I think uh, it's a great question because, you know, what standard do you come up with to... what? Uh, say, yeah, he has to provide documentation or whatever. And Jeffrey sort of just muddled through it and said, um, you know, transparency is the best disinfectant and we'll lay out the facts and everyone can believe, you know, what what the facts point to. And I think that's where Democrats are going. Well, and Cohen reportedly, we'll find out in an hour or so, uh, actually has some documents or some evidence that he's going to provide, which... Mm-hmm. To right, I think that prove, he said to prove his case. Right, it's not just. I think talk. that's He's mostly got... with the Stormy Daniels stuff. Yeah, that, you know the reimbursement of payment, um, the hundred thirty thousand dollars of hush money, uh, and you know it's clear Trump knew of that. It's clear that they they lied about it repeatedly. Um, it's you know the first line was he had no idea that this happened. Right now, come to find out, he had you know very <laughs> he had a very good idea of what was happening and was an active participant in what was happening. Right. And which, you know, that is in itself a campaign finance violation. And, it, you know, you can argue about how major of a one it is, but it was certainly information that was material to the campaign. He was, um, you know, he was preventing someone from speaking out. It was a hush money payment. Uh, you know, we can go from there and talk about the facts, but that's, those are, you know, now we know that. Now, in his uh, first statement after the, um, after the midterms, uh, down at the White House, and I believe also in his State of the Union, uh, the president has basically threatened Democrats, don't hold any hearings, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. Or it's going to be all-out war. Right. I mean, I think today is the first sign of the fact that um, I don't think any Democrat was very scared of that warning. Um, again, you know, a lot of them have suspected that there's something major here, and they've held off again until the Mueller report drops and I think now it's expected uh, next week, maybe next Friday. There was a lot of talk that it could be this Friday. And it was sort of delayed, and they and then there was some talk yeah. that they weren't going to release it while he was overseas. While he was right, right. So, um, and it may not be released next week. I'm not, I'm still not convinced. Right, right. I mean, we've heard who knows. Right, right. You know, we've heard this Peter yeah, and this the Wolf tale. so yeah. long, yeah. Right. so so many times. Before. Literally, it's been like a year and a half. <laughs> any week is, now. Yeah, any week now. <laughs> I remember it was November 2017, yeah. Thanksgiving, that Rudy Giuliani yeah, right. said it was all going to be over. That was right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Hello, yeah. Rudy. I, I, By the way, where is Rudy? <laughs> I think they finally uh, put some duct tape over him and <laughs> threw him in a basement somewhere. Yeah. We haven't heard from him in a long time, really. Not that you're complaining. No. Well, I'm complaining. I'd love to hear him from yeah, him. He, yeah. was, he was, uh, you know, he was the, one of the strongest uh, um, oh, yeah. surrogates for the anti-Trump campaign, I guess, because <laughs> he just kept on putting his foot in his mouth. But, yeah, I, I haven't heard from him. Hey, it's good copy for us. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> But so whether or not it ends next week or not, I guess the point is making is the Democrats are, they don't want to interfere with the Mueller investigation, but they're not just going to wait until Mueller. Yeah, I mean, they've been holding their fire basically this entire time. Uh, you, know, you know, you're seeing the Cohen um, testimony and 
I think, again, you know, Elijah Cummings at Oversight is not scared of going, quote, going to war with Trump or whatever. Um, they're going to conduct the oversight that they, you know, believe is necessary. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that they haven't jumped on the impeachment train, I think, does strengthen their case in some ways that they, they can say, you know, impeachment is, is really supposedly a, a legal remedy for something. It's supposed to be sort of have the air of, you know, serious legal investigation, not just a you know, crazy. Is there the risk that the Democrats could end up tripping over each other? Like Cohen goes from oversight today to intelligence tomorrow, Mm -hmm. the House Intelligence Committee tomorrow. What they can ask about, too. Yeah, I I, I certainly think that's the case. And uh, And then Elliot Engel's going to do his stuff. Jerry Nadler with Judiciary. Judiciary, Yep. Al, uh, you know, Adam uh, Schiff with intelligence, mm-hmm. Elijah I mean, Cummings at, with at, oversight. At point, they could all there, be. There's going to be this chasing push here. the same rabbit. Right, right, and this has gone on for so long. I mean, we're already two years into Trump's, uh, you know, uh, his presidency. Um, we're going to the campaign for him really starts in earnest, I think, in in a year. Uh, I think, no matter what the facts are, at some point, Democrats are going to say, "Let's just run against Trump." <laughs> you know, I don't want to run against some new Republican, we think we can beat this guy. So you're also running against a political wall here where um, a lot of people think, all right, well, we already have the House. We, we've, we've sort of stymied him legislatively. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We don't want to run against maybe Mike Pence or whoever right. Republicans would put up. They'd rather run against someone with a 42% you know, favorability rating. Uh, well, we're almost out of time, but here's an issue we haven't yet to talk about today and an issue that we have not seen in front of Congress for a long time, another uh, sign of how things are different um, under uh, with the Democratic control and Speaker Pelosi. Uh, legislation introduced yesterday to do something about background checks, and none other than former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords uh, was there to, at the introduction uh, of this bill. Here, here she is yesterday. Now is the time to come together, be responsible, Democrats, Republicans, everyone. And... That bill is carried by Lucy McBath. Mm-hmm. That's her name, That's McBath, right? Yep. right? Yep. From uh, Florida. Or is it Georgia? Or isn't she? Georgia. 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 Sorry, Georgia. Uh, who over the weekend she gave the Democratic address, where she talked about you know how important this issue is to her. Gun violence is an issue that's deeply personal for me. In 2012, my son Jordan Davis was shot and killed by a man who opened fire on a car of unarmed teenagers at a gas station in Jacksonville, Florida. Right. So um, have the the fact that this issue is being raised is one big difference. Uh, are there enough votes to pass something like this? Yeah, it seems like they're they're going to pass two gun legislation bills this week. Uh, just to, well, to that. this week. Right, right, yeah. There, um, there's one, uh, the, quote, Charleston loophole with, there's, they're basically tightening up gun background checks, and uh, I think a lot of um, you know uh, proponents of, of tighter gun control would say this is not enough. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of Democrats would say it's not enough, but it's a start. And um, you passing know, any gun safety legislation at all, right, right, and and and, and uh, um, you know, there was reporters again asking Democrats yesterday about about this, and Mike Thompson, who's been mm-hmm. one of the leaders on uh, gun background checks. Uh, basically, you know, he was saying, you know, look at all the the you know we 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 all point to the attacks. Well, this wouldn't this wouldn't have stopped that attack, or this wouldn't have stopped that attack. Uh, and I think that a lot of Democrats point to, well, you know, we don't know how many attacks were stopped because of 
you know, this gun background check. I think the statistics are like something like 178 people a day are stopped from getting a gun from gun background check. So we know in some ways the people who we've decided we don't want guns in their hands, um, it, it's it's working at some level, right? We we, we may not, not totally agree with who we uh, don't want to have guns, but there are certainly people who uh, I think most people would say, yeah, I don't want that guy having a gun. And these people are apparently trying to get guns still. Uh, so, you know, gun background checks in some ways work, and we know that they're preventing at least some people from Yeah. And what's important, I think, here is that the Democrats are pursuing their legislative agenda. Right. It's not just all focused on... Right, and they're not afraid of guns anymore. They're they're putting it front and center and Mm -hmm. going right after it, right at the start. Yeah, and not just focusing everything on anti-Trump, 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 right? Yeah, so... Hey, Matt, it's good to see you. Good to see you. Busy day today. You better yes. get down there for the hearing, get your seat. I hope somebody's saving a seat for you. <laughs> Matt Fuller with the uh, HuffPost, Congressional Covering Congress at HuffPost.com. Have a great Wednesday, yes. folks. We'll be here it's tomorrow and looking show. for you.